Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. In a very rare and exciting podcast, we have a man. It's true, we have a live man. This man is extraordinary, and I'm so grateful out of his busy schedule that he would come on today. And it's Michael Twitty, author of The Cooking Gene. Now, if you don't know that book, thank God you're listening to this podcast, because I think you must have been living under a rock in the last few years. So hello, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Hi. So nice to be here. You have a lovely voice. It's a lovely thank you. voice. I was told in a, in a, in a nasty review from, from when I read The Cooking Gene for audio file, they were like, well, he's obviously not a gifted reader. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to tell you something. I always say about myself, it's a crapshoot. You either really mm. like me or you don't. Do you know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> I decided a long time ago that I'm here for me. Come on. That's what my my purpose is for me to be here and do what I can in the world. And what other people think of me is their problem. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's their issue. That is their issue. Well, okay. Let me say a little background about you. And then I want you to talk. Sure. Michael has a beautiful new book out called Kosher Soul. And he's going to tell us something about it. I wanted to talk more about Kosher Soul. But I went back to the cooking gene because I've had the cooking gene for several years on my bookshelf. I read it when it first came out. And everybody that knows me knows that I have ADHD. So I got into the cooking gene yesterday, Michael, and I couldn't get out. Okay, I went down the rabbit hole. It's really, I mean, I don't throw this word around at all. It's a masterpiece. Okay, oh so I'll, I want you to talk about how the journey, which is fabulous. Cindy, before we got on, Cindy said, oh, yeah, I stalk him from his blog and his website and stuff. And I, I thought, good for you, Cindy. If you don't know, Michael, I want to say this. And then you tell us, Michael, this came from your blog, Afro Culinaria. If your blog went to book, is that correct? Is that fair to say? It's, it's only because I shepherded the project from you know concept to blog to book good um there was so much resistance I'm sure. tell us why um well okay so this is the way i usually put it okay the the black i hate the word contribution but black engagement with american food especially when it comes to the era of our ancestors has pretty much been streamlined to black eyed peas, okra, watermelon, and rice. Ain't those black folks so nice? <laughs> you know, they, they, sure, they did a few things, a few little interesting regional trivial things, um, but did they really do anything of, of real value? I, I would dare to say there's no high on the hog, there's no other projects out there until people like me who were not in restaurants, who were not institutionalized. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Had the opportunity to, to say, you know, no, we need to tell this story as well. And that African Americans are not a racial group, we're an ethnic group. And ethnic groups have their own history. The other day ago, here's a great example of this, and I'll try, I'll try to be succinct. I had, an I had an interview with someone who said to me, you know, kosher soul, you know, great and all, but 
you don't really tell us where your family's from. And I'm like, well, I'd spent the entire cooking gene telling you where my family was from. And it took years upon years upon years of work and research and thinking and reading and researching. I, I said to the person, you know, this isn't, this isn't someone had a dream or they were running away from something and ended up at Ellis Island and they were in a tenement for a couple of years. And then the next generation got to, got to another neighborhood that was less crowded. And then their grandchildren got to a suburb and that's my American story. So asking me, where did they come to? Oh, well, the history of black people in this country is a history of forced migration. Yes. Um, and then they were like, where'd they come from? And I'm like, where they come from was many, many different places that are now independent nations with different ethnic groups, some of which exist in which in the same forms, which don't. But like asking me for a simplistic sort of like linear answer for a nonlinear history isn't how this is gonna start. If you don't know that it's a nonlinear history with a lot of complicated issues, and there's <laughs> there are very few good cowboys in this story, then what you do is you, it tells me that you don't know how to handle our history. That's right. That you don't know how to handle policy. That you don't know how to handle the, the issues of the day because if you think that it's as simple as, okay, a handful of black people got picked up in Africa, then they landed in Georgia, and then they stayed in Georgia, and then blah, 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 then you're, okay. So the largest forced migration in American history was the domestic slave trade. And then the largest forced migration in human history was the transatlantic slave trade. And then more people of African descent crossed the ocean in boats before 1820 than anybody else. Like there's layers to this. And then of course the largest free migration was the great migration of black folks to the North the, and the Midwest and the West Coast. Asking me to simplify my history or point to the history is, is that's the problem. People don't know. So I wanted people to know and understand African-American, the African-American experience as ethnic and culinary. And I also wanted them to understand that our ancestors were, um, were real people. And unfortunately, history has denied us some of the most important elements of their lives. Sometimes their names, sometimes where they were buried, sometimes where they were born, where, they, where their people were from. I mean, their ancestors did care about their roots and their heritage, but when you're sold at least um, three times in your life, you how do you keep hold of those things? So having done that work, I, I also forgot to tell you, I was... We did the Southern Discomfort Tour. I, I wanted to ask you about that. Please tell me about it. Yes, and so I had an idea that I would go do the research around the South and that I would cook in, in these sites of memory, foodscapes as I called them. And I really wanted to tell a story. So I was like, let's do this. We had no money. My yeah. So he suggested crowdfunding. I never heard of crowdfunding. And everybody crowdfunds. But back then it was brand new. Right. So we chose one that would let us have some money if we didn't raise all the money. Well, the day, the last day of the campaign, some angel gave us the last $1,500. 
Oh, how wonderful. That we needed. And I was really pensive and nervous. But and for trying to figure out how we would squeeze more out of what little we had. Well, then we got that $1,500. The first came, the first good, good amount of money came from my lovely friend. Here's a shout out, Nancy McDermott, who is- Oh, yes. Yes, cookbook author, you know, Nancy and-, and, and Nancy writer. and I are, are twins separated at birth, Michael. <laughs> bon, vivant. bon vivant, right? Correct? I'll tell you, I wish I had those blue sparkling eyes, but no, she, Nancy McDermott is very special. She's no. amazing. She, without her, there with this project wouldn't even exist because no. she she told a whole community of people who may not have heard my voice or known about me. This is important. Pay attention to this. Yes. Contribute. And she made a, a, a lovely contribution that really got us steamrolling and kept me sane during she she had us over her home many times. Um, had us had me talking to different groups of people. I did not know this at the time, but thinking back on it, Nancy was teaching me how to campaign for this. She was teaching me how to how to schmooze, how to rub elbows, how to encourage, you know, engagement, and um, and kept me calm when I when I thought you know things weren't going right. Well, honey, she's a natural charmer. Yes. She's a natural <laughs> charmer. I always say that to her. And thank God, Michael, how wonderful. And it doesn't, this story is new to me. I knew that uh, Nancy had talked to me about you. Okay. When your book first came out, she said to me, Denise, this is really an important book. I did not know this other part of your story with Nancy. And I'm not surprised. I'm just thrilled and amazed as always that she, you know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of what you hope for in life, isn't it? Yeah, because you know what? You need to know that there are people who have your back. And of course, here's another part of the story. My mom, my mom was fading when this book came to fruition. In 2014, my mother passed away. Okay. Way too young. Yeah. 67. Oh, way too young. And um, it hurt. And it hurt the way no other passing in my life has hurt and someone told me um I believe it was Wayne Randolph from Colonial Williamsburg he said to me this is different from anything else you've experienced because you were with your mother the longest and your mother was with you the longest so no one knows you like this woman who had you as a part of her system and my mother and I had a lot of issues but as push you know push came to shove she really started to tell me things like you know I've changed I'm not as brusque as I used to be I'm not as quick fire to be angry at things and one day I was really frustrated and my mom said to me don't worry what you need is coming to you I'm I've prayed for you and I'm going to keep praying for you well the Yoruba, one of our ancestral groups in West Africa, Nigeria, they say, I have a beautiful proverb that says, once your mother has prayed for you, you are unstoppable. So I feel very privileged to, in all of this, I mean, I can name a thousand names. Marcy Cohen Ferris is another one. My mother, my cousins, a lot of people. 
Um, but the bottom line is that without these, um, as I say in Yoruba, ya, me, my mother's, ya's mother, me is me, mine. I couldn't do this. Gotcha. You know, I couldn't do this. And so they are, they are, they're part of my spiritual world. So when I went to, to Sierra Leone, one of the most important masquerades is called uh, the Sandi or, or Bondo. And she represents the spirit of all the mothers and the women of the people. Oh. And when she comes, she's very intimidating, but when she comes up to you, she's always danced, by the way, by a woman. Men do not dance Sandi and Bondo. They're only danced by women because it's only passed down through the women's excuse me, secret society. Okay. And so when the Bondu mask made her presence known when we were in Sierra Leone in 20, early 2020, she comes up to me and I started to um, cry. Yeah, I bet. Because the movements that she makes as part of her entrance, especially to certain people, is one of a mother who's found her lost baby and wants to comfort it. So as an African-American whose mother came from the Mende and she's comforting me saying, welcome home. So yeah, part of my mother's effects are buried in Sierra Leone. Oh, how lovely, Michael. And I have to go back to um, do some things. I'm also, I also got my passport and citizenship. Yeah, lots of things. And then, you know, when we went to Senegal, I actually took a little small amount of my mom's remains because she was cremated. Yeah. And I um, had a, my own special ceremony at Gori Island at the door of no return. And so I returned part of my mother's essence to the ancestors. How perfect. You know, when you say, Michael, I have to just thank you. When you talk about it, that there was resistance. And I know this. From my experience, I started producing, being a culinary producer and food stylist in the 90s, Michael. It, it wow. Out, okay, 1990s. I know, I look so good. Who could believe I'm this old? But <laughs> um, so in 1993, 94, when High on the Hog came out, I was also a producer at the Discovery Channel and the Learning Channel, and I did not, I had met Jessica, Dr. Harris once at an IACP event. So I went right to the Discovery Channel. I said, this book is a show for you, okay? This is exactly what you need. They looked at me and said, oh, no, 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 we're not, no, 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 not a big enough audience. Always it's not a big enough audience. Right. So in 2021, High on the Hog is one of the best you know, watch shows. So Michael, I'm just saying this, everything takes longer than we think it's going to. That's my feeling about careers, about culture. Do you know what I mean? It, and when you, right. you mentioned words like frustrated or disappointed, absolutely. That doesn't make it any easier for your journey. I met Verdame Grossner, Grossner in about 2000, she'd written a darling cookbook about the low, you know, low, low country cooking in South Carolina. And when I met her, Michael, I mean, she was again, a PBS, she'd been from PBS. So I had known of her because I, of my association with PBS and Natalie, Natalie Dupree, and she was a friend of Natalie's. And here I met this woman now talk about ignorance. And when people just don't know, okay, they haven't been exposed. 
Michael, I grew up in California my entire life. Right. I've been to Louisiana to New Orleans on vacation. I've been to Atlanta to teach. You know, I've been, but I've, I've barely been to the Carolinas. So I didn't know when I first saw her cookbook and she was gracious enough to give me one. And I was on tour with her for a couple of days. And I don't know if you know, Verda May, if you're, she was tall and beautiful. She was an actress oh, also. Yeah. I mean, she was a commentator. She could do anything, okay? Right. She really, she was one of those, she could do anything. And I felt so embarrassed when she gave me the book and I spent a couple of days with her. And then I admitted to her, I said, I need to share something with you. I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know about the, the Gula Islands. I didn't know about this cuisine right. was hiding. I knew none of this. And she said to me, that's okay, honey. You know, we all learn when we're supposed to. And she was so sweet to me, but that to me, Michael, again, going way back, I, I just think, and then your book coming out and still resistance horrendous, but this is because we know of erasure in our country. And I always say this, and now it makes me angry. And Cindy's mm -hmm. so many times she's gonna say to me, she puts her hand up to like say, not another rant. I look back, Michael, at what I learned about American history, and it's a bag of shit. Okay. I know so little of the truth about American history. I was embarrassed a couple of years ago when I, I was probably Nancy McDermott. I said, how come I never knew about Juneteenth? And I probably really learned about it from Tony Tipton Martin. Right. How could I have gone all these years and never heard of that? I went to high school, colleges. I mean, Black history was just starting to be taught in colleges when I was in college. And I, I'm sorry I missed that opportunity. But I'm just saying, sometimes people are ignorant because they want to be. Sometimes they're ignorant because they haven't been exposed. Do you know what I mean? It just... But it, it's an amazing thing to me. So your journey is so much more important than just now. Yep. This is lifeline work. This is your, this is your legacy. So for that, I mean, I, I, can't, I, I can't say enough nice things about you. Um, I really, and culinary injustices. I always love it, Michael, again, because I was at PBS. So when you walk through the hallways of a PBS station, there's all the pictures of people that have been on TV for years. And I worked in the San Francisco KQED and Jacques Pepin and Julia Child shot there a lot. I worked a few days on both of their shows. I wasn't, I was working on a culinary, um, another show at that time. So, but Lena, you know who I'm talking about, Chef Lena from New Orleans. She had a TV show. Oh, I can't think of her last Lena name. Lena Richard. Oh, thank you. I have her cookbook. Her picture was there. She was in 1948 on PBS. That's right. That's right. Didn't get there for years. So here was a black woman who'd been a caterer and a chef and a lifestyle. I mean, she was everything. Okay. And no one ever mentions her until just recently. I've seen her name in print again. And I thought, well, and already says Julia Child, the first PBS chef on TV. I think, no, Julia was not the first. Matter of fact, mm -hmm. it would be 20 years before Julia would anybody would know Julia's name. So the frustration level is there. There is no doubt about it. Just so tell us more. I know about your Southern discomfort tour a little, Michael, because I used to when you were on Facebook more. And I certainly understand not everyone. I liked you on Facebook because I got to see what you were doing. So <laughs> that, that's all. 
I'm being, Cindy said the same thing. We like to, I love, what I love about Facebook, Michael, is I love seeing what people are doing with their careers. Okay. I don't, I don't want to know about that. You stubbed your toe or that your dog, you know, got sick. I want to know what you're doing. And so, and Facebook is a way to broadcast it. I loved, I used to love to watch the cooking stories you were doing your presentations. And I, is that part of the Southern discomfort tour when you were, and your segment at the end on high on the hog, where you were talking about the food and showing how they cooked it. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, Facebook was interesting because the more my profile grew, the more I had smart Alex. Oh yeah. In my life. And it was getting to be really uncomfortable because it was family it was friends it was everybody who were just like oh you have a a growing profile let me wag my finger at you oh i see okay i understand and tell you know uh i'm gonna correct you i'm gonna be the one that corrects you in public oh and it was so it went from being small and very petty to being very obnoxious and abusive and so i began to not post well, I understand that. So trolls, what you're talking about is trolls. Yeah, but the problem was the trolls were my people. Oh. The trolls were friends and family and 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 um, acquaintances. It wasn't just someone who was looking to pick a fight with someone they didn't know. And it was also people who were friends of friends of friends on um, on um, Facebook. I see. One of, one of Natalie Dupree's friends of a friend of a friend said, well, Michael Twitty is not going to go anywhere until he stops, you know, being so angry. Oh, okay. Okay, boo. I see you. I, I got you. That's yeah. nice. So that's what, so, you know, I had to kind of pull back from that. And also this, I really loved, I loved the validation of people who understood the cooking world and food world and wanted to engage that way. What I didn't love was the fact there were people who just were being intrusive, people who actually had a lot of um, respect for. One person who did this, who shall remain nameless, is actually a chapter in Kosher Soul <laughs> because oh. his wife was so, we it was so weird because I had, I knew them during their courtship. I knew him a long time and his wife and I were very cordial. Like, oh, hi, how you doing? Da, da, da until like after Facebook and I'm in their house and she has a newborn baby and it's all kind of issues go down. But like, I talked about like what that was like because I found myself becoming very different in the eyes of the people who I thought knew me. Ah. And so I had to answer for everything. And, and frequently what people would, would come down to is they would say, um, you're, you have too much of a, too big of a profile platform to say things that stupid or da, 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 whatever, I, you know, like, wow, you know, you just weren't allowed to be you. And so I had to cut it off. I felt this was not, this is not worth my time. You know what, Michael, I think you're a lovely man who's sensitive and smart and see for me, and I'm just speaking for myself. I have people tell me all the time that I'm angry. Okay. God, you're angry, Denise. I go, you know, I am. <laughs> I usually then tell them to fuck off and I block them. So I, Amen. It, that's it. Do you know what I mean? But I've been told I was angry 
almost my entire life, even as a child, and raised by a woman who sent me to charm school. It was not effective. I mean, I <laughs> ballet lessons, she tried. Oh, Michael, she tried. But the bottom line was, we are who we are. Now, I'm angry. It's so many things. You know, and I, my husband, I always say to him, oh, I'm so tired of that white man's boot on my neck. And he just says to me, please don't say things like that out loud. I go, why? Are you kidding me? Look what's happening in the Supreme Court. You don't think that all of us aren't going to suffer? I mean, you don't think that. Oh, anyway, you, you get my drift. But I'm angry, Michael. And I think that I try to use my anger to tell the truth. So I'm sorry if people are resistant sometimes to what things pe you say, but maybe you're just telling the truth and people don't want to hear it. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is that at the end of the day, I know that I'm doing what's necessary, what's right. Because the, the bottom line was, I remember being at the Roger Smith cookbook conference Okay. And, and someone who I know who wasn't being mean or cruel, but being very well-meaning was just like, well, people, these people don't know you and they know how to handle your identity. And all I could think was, I have to change this because there are lots of people who are just different, who need a chance to speak. Absolutely. A chance to be heard, who Absolutely. need a chance to be, um, to have their opinions and intelligence captured. And so I said, you got to do this not for you, but for the other people. That's right. This is not about you. This is about the other people. And however far you go is however far you'll go. But if you can say with a true smile and be happy for someone else who's been able to push things forward a little bit more, then this is what, this is what part of what your job is. That's right. So that's why the cooking gene is about my African-American heritage and backstory and my ancestors and how, you know, tracing my food and family routes and roots from Africa to America, from, sl from slavery to freedom. Does then, it, and the kosher, and kosher Soul is about my Jewish wait. journey. And then the last book in this trilogy is about, you know, queer presence in the kitchen. Okay, now have you started writing that already? I was hoping, somewhere I read, Michael, that there was a trilogy and I was yeah. gonna ask you about that. Fabulous. So tell us a little bit now. I just want to say this one thing. When the cooking gene came out, and I know you won a James Beard Award. If not, did you win two James Beard Awards? Two, yeah. yeah. Uh, if people don't know the book, okay, Michael, I just want to say to them, it's it, you would enjoy it. Go to go to your local bookstore or Amazon, buy the book. Uh, to me, Michael, it's totally uh, starts to fill in a whole lot of spaces of things I didn't know. And didn't it also, in the book, doesn't it say you were, you were an eighth or ninth generation Twitty in this country? I'm an eighth or ninth generation member of my family. That's amazing. Yeah, and, that's, and that's not counting um, the indigenous part of our family. Okay. That's simply from, from West Africa to here, to now. Crazy, that's crazy. When you think of how long that is, Michael, that's my, I, it's someone like me, my grandfather came here from Italy as a grown man, had my father, my family's been in San Francisco for almost a hundred years. Do you know what I mean? And that seems uh -huh. like a long time to us, but nothing 
seventh or eighth generation. Now answer me this, please tell us about Kosher Soul. Okay, so Kosher Soul, um, much like the cooking gene is a braid of culinary history, personal memory, memoir, vulnerabilities, confessions. Um, it's a blend of social, contemporary social commentary and recipes. Got it. More recipes in the cooking in the kosher soul than the cooking gene. Okay. I didn't wanna, I didn't want a brand that said, here by the memoir, here by the cookbook. No. Da, 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 da. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I know that I know that has worked for some people in this, in this, in this trade. I didn't want to be overly, I didn't want to sell. I wanted to, I wanted to teach. I, honey, and, this, and I can see all your years of teaching, again, from blog to teaching mm -hmm. book, it's a journey. Good for you. And I, honey, publishers want to know what it is. They want to be able to write on the back of the book, you know, at the top right, right hand, top left-hand corner, cookbook or memoir. They don't, they get confused when you try to do more than one thing. So I, I commend you that you've been able to do it. Well, it's because I don't, because we need to have- Diversity. <laughs> diversity, but also food memoir stories and food stories that aren't just how-tos that yeah. teach you for people's lives. That's right. And also not just from restaurant chefs. I mean, there's a mm -hmm. lot of stories out there. I, one of the reasons I think Anthony Bourdain was so popular was that he shined the light on the whole kitchen crew and not just on himself. He mm -hmm. talked about other people in kitchens. Okay. And that's because kitchens are, you know, what they are. I love kitchens, but there's so many stories. So Michael, now was this your idea, Kosher Soul? Was it always your idea to write this trilogy? Yes. Around? Okay. See, so you I knew, I knew that I wanted to write Kosher Soul. And okay. I knew that I wanted to write The Cooking Gene. Okay. I did not know what any other projects would form themselves into. I've also done Rice with um, I, I saw that. North Carolina Press. Yes. Which garnered a um, recognition for the New York Times um, as being one of the cookbooks to read in 2021. There was a toss up which one I would do first. Okay. The Cooking Gene kind of went out and then came Kosher Soul. And um, you know, now that it's done, it, it took me longer than I thought, but the past administration and the culture that it created really did impact how this book was being done. Okay. Um, there were so many cultural flashpoints that it was really tough. And then, of course, the conversations kept swirling. Um, what else can I say? I can also say that the Rona, <laughs> the pandemic. Oh, my God, yes. Certainly got in the way. It was, but I was also glad that it did not show up in, you know, just in time to be in a pandemic world. I get it. That would not have been good. But also during that same pandemic year was a, a summer of racial social just reckoning. Yeah. So there was that too. So I didn't really have, you know, much of a choice. And I'm, and I'm, I mean, they were just like, come on, get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. And you know how that is, hurry up and wait. And I'm glad it didn't get done because if it had, 
I'm sure it would not have withstood the weight. Got it. Of that year of economic depression and social upheaval and um, people not being, you know, then they wouldn't know if the world's going to end. They don't know when. They don't know what the next book says. With Judaism, I must say that um, it's very complicated because number one, some people might feel that one needs to convert despite having Jewish ancestry or a paternal ancestry or a, you know. Okay. That's one thing. Some people say you should even convert ish, quote unquote, if even if you have a Jewish mother, and yeah. you're logically Jewish, but you don't. They weren't raised that way. Yes. Um, so there's a lot. It's it's very complicated, but uh, but there's there are not so many like come to the light stories in Judaism as much it is as much as it is a story about meaning, family, purpose. Family in Judaism is not just the immediate family or the extended family; it's the entire family Absolutely. of the Jewish people. Absolutely. Um, which of course is the connecting theme, of course, with the cooking gene, right? Right. Family. family. Right. Who are your family? Familia. Who are your people? What do you come from? How can you create family? You know, what are you bringing to the table as a member of the human species? So um, those are really big questions that a lot of people never seem to want to figure out a way to answer. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think people don't even know where to start, Michael. I mean, you do. You're looking at these complicated things and you obviously have the mind that says, oh, let's let's do some research and I'll find out. There are people that are just don't even, they've never thought of it. Okay. Well, I mean, well, I mean think about this. You know, one, one of the things I'm very proud of about both books, but especially in the cooking gene is I have a chapter on corn. Yes. And, and I talk about how, you know, the corn was the hominy, the corn which became which became later became grits. And the corn was the corn starch from making the hominy was used to um, um, starch the the petticoats oh. of the women in the women of the plantation because when they had a, a a dance when they had something else, well obviously this is how the young people socialize, and um, the idea that you know. At a corn shucking, if you found the radier corn, you got to kiss the kiss or you know flirt with the person you wanted. Oh. And I thought to myself, this is the fine detail. Yes. That cookbooks can't tell you. Yes. Of course, you had all these you had all these dishes from corn, right? It was the coating to the chicken. It was the um, it was hush puppies. Oh, um, it was bread. It was hoe cake. It was um hominy it was grits it was you know, da, 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 on and on and on and on it was soup it was a vegetable it was this it was that and then you think about oh their mattresses were, were corn husks and their dolls were corn husks and the the that hominy water made her skirt pop when she walked to the walk to the dance and of course when she was dancing it added to the the drama of of this moment of freedom that my ancestors enjoyed. And the swirling of their skirts. Yes, and all of this. And so there's this thing. You get this full portrait of people's lives and all of a sudden they aren't as anonymous anymore. Yeah. We can't, we can't excuse our amnesia. 
And that's what that's what that's what happens when you braid culinary history with reflection, with memoir, with all of these things in conversation. I mean, a big element of my work is that it's about creating conversation, having conversations, and fomenting conversation. Everybody's mind works differently. And sometimes, because I'm a very visual person, I can just see you connecting dots, like those games we used to do as kids. You remember how you connect the dots and you find out which shape you got? I can see you connecting dots. So when you talk, though, I so, it's just, it's inspiring, Michael. It's inspiring. So I cannot thank you enough. Now, I want everyone to know, as always, all the information on Michael Twitty and how to reach him will be when we broadcast, Michael, we put it all up in the cute picture of you and the color, copy of your uh, cover of your book. And if anyone wants to reach Cindy and I, they can reach us at womenbeyond at icloud.com. We love messages from people. And I all I can say is, Michael, I'm gonna beg you to come back and talk to us again because I, we have just touched the surface. Yeah. And I want you to come back and talk to us again about Kosher Soul or what you're doing next. Are you on Twitter? Yes, Twitter at Kosher Soul. So, okay, good. Twitter, Kosher Soul. Perfect. So people will know when you're speaking or if you're doing an appearance. Right. Excellent. Michael, thank you so much. I hope- Thank you, Denise. Oh, I cannot thank you enough. It's just, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Cindy, as always. Cindy handles everything as people know. Cindy keeps the the wheels on the wagon train, Michael. That's all I can tell you. If left in my own devices, I would not have a podcast. So thank you again. And everyone, thanks for listening. And right when you get work. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>